Today on The Girl Defined Show, we have a super special episode for our single sisters, and more specifically, our single sisters who long to get married. You know, the narrative in Christian culture and churches is oftentimes for single women, you know, just trust God, just wait. If it's in his plan for you, it will happen when it happens. And while yes, that's true, what if I told you there were things you could do, biblical, godly things as a Christian woman to help marriage happen? Do I have your interest? I hope so, because we are going to unpack all of that today with my good friend, Candace Waters. And in fact, she wrote a book called Get Married, What Women Can Do to Help It Happen. So stick around if you're single longing for married and you want to know, is there something I could do to help this happen in my life? We are going to talk about all of that today on The Girl Defined Show. Candace, welcome back. It is so good to have you again. It is great to be back. Thanks for the invite. Yes. If you guys missed my first conversation with Candice a while back, all about uh, family planning, birth control, just how to start your family, why you should start your family, go listen to that one. I will link it in the comments below. But Candice, I mean, just jumping in, what I said in the intro is true that oftentimes the, the theme, the narrative around marriage for single women in churches is oftentimes just, just kind of wait. Trust God, yeah. stay surrendered, which is true. And we want that heart of humility, of surrender before the Lord. But is it true that that being passive and surrendered, are those the same things or are there actually things that single women can do to help marriage happen? They are not the same things. And yes, <laughs> there are many things that women can do to help, not make, but help it happen. Uh, you know, the, the verse that I think a lot of people go to for this conversation is Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where Paul talks about learning contentment. I've learned contentment to be content in all circumstances. He's talking about hunger and, and thirst and nakedness and suffering. I think single women would say being single beyond what I thought I would be is its own form of suffering. And it is. Um, and it's right to be content in the Lord while you wait, but that's not the same as being resigned to being single for the rest of your life. It's not the same as being passive. And it's definitely, it's dangerous when you think contentment means changing nothing, doing nothing. And that can lead to passivity, which as we know in other areas of our lives, never moves us toward our goal. We're not passive about taking vacations. We're not passive about going to college or pursuing a career. We're not even passive about our coffee. <laughs> we, we get involved in the details of our lives and God has given us brains to think and minds to plan. And yes, the, the, the thing we want to do today is talk about what are those things that mm -hmm. women can do to help it happen. There are lots yes. of things. And also yes. there are a lot of things they need probably to think about, maybe stop doing mm -hmm. that could prevent marriage from happening. Ooh, okay. Now I'm extra interested. Things that we <laughs> could be doing to help it happen and things that we should stop doing that are preventing yeah. it from, ha from happening. And then yeah. where is our heart in all of that? Okay. So before we get to all of those goodies, tell me and our listeners why you decided to write a book literally called Get Married, What Women Can Do to Help It Happen. Tell us a little bit about your background, your story, yeah. your journey from singleness to marriage, and what prompted you to write this really intriguing book. Well, I grew up in a Christian home with married Christian parents and marriage was esteemed and honored and affirmed. And it was just my assumption that I would go to a Christian college, I would meet a nice Christian young man, and we would get married and start our family and the rest would be happily ever after. And I graduated college and didn't really have any dates in college. Then I moved to DC for two years, met some Christian guys, but they were all so committed to their careers that they weren't dating 
And I, I was suddenly 25 and really discouraged that mm. I felt like I was moving to my cell, past my sell by date, right? The, the good years <laughs> for getting married were escaping me. And, um, I fast forward to graduate school where I met Steve and the book tells that whole story. But while I was there, um, I realized that we needed help to get to marriage because even once I met him, even once he said, Hey, I think there might be something more here in our friendship. Mm -hmm. We still were kind of fits and starts moving toward marriage. And we had a, a, a professor and his wife who were super helpful in getting us from best friends to dating to marriage. And so we thought if we needed help, probably we were not alone. There are a lot of singles who grew up in Christian homes and have that great support, but there are even a, a lot who have none of that. And so if we needed help getting to marriage, we assumed probably everybody needs a little help. Hmm. And I'm sure a lot of the single women are going, amen. Yes, I'll take the help. Where's the help? <laughs> so then was it through your journey of realizing, wow, I needed help. And the help I got was actually really helpful. Is that mm -hmm. what prompted you to then think, wow, I want to share what I've learned with other women through writing this book? Well, the big impetus was boundless.org, which is the webzine mm -hmm. we started for Focus on the Family. And I started writing articles for Boundless that became some of the book chapters. So Pulling a Ruth, Pray Boldly, some of those things. And Moody called and said, hey, would you be interested in writing a book? And I said, I would love to turn these chapters, these, uh, I would love to turn these articles into a book. And so that was the practical way that it happened. But, um, we got far enough along and we're starting to do research and seeing that we weren't alone in suspecting it was harder and harder for people to get married and to marry well. And um, Leon Cass, who with his wife wrote this great anthology called Wing to Wing, Or to Or, he talks in the introduction about how he they were seeing young couples in their classroom backing their way into marriage. So they were getting married later. They were getting married less successfully. They were disappointed in their efforts to get married. And so we, we, realize we're onto something here. This is a culture-wide mm. phenomenon, and we wanted to enter that conversation. Mm, interesting. Backing into marriage. So it sounds like your perspective was marriage is a really good thing. We need to help these young people understand that. So, yeah. I mean, unpack some of that for us. Like, I know a lot of our listeners already feel that and believe that, but there are some who might feel like, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things I want to do before getting married. Yeah. So help us understand biblically as Christian women, how should we even be thinking about marriage? I needed a lot of help in this regard because like my friends, I was embarrassed to talk about my desire for marriage, mm -hmm. partly because I hadn't succeeded at it. So anytime I would mention it, it felt like admitting defeat. Um, and I felt like the most important thing to talk about with my single friends was my career aspirations. We were in graduate school. We were trying to advance what we would do for work. And when we talked about our future, in a setting, a co-ed setting, somebody would say, hey, what do you want to do when you leave? None of us said, well, I want to get married. We talked about how, well, we wanted to go back to Capitol Hill or we wanted to do this or that. And this older mentor said, why don't you talk about marriage among your single friends? Elevate that subject. Just throw it out there to say, you know, I would like to be a wife and a mom someday. Hmm. She said, you might be surprised at how the men respond because women tend to now especially be getting more degrees, more advanced degrees. They're, they're kind of flying faster and further than their peers, their male peers, their brothers in Christ. And any encouragement that we can give them in just giving them a little window into what we're thinking, they may not realize that our ultimate career goal is to be a mom. Hmm. 
So talking about it openly with your friends, with the guys. I mean, it is true that there is a lot of hesitancy around even saying, like I've talked to so many young women and I remember feeling this way in my early 20s, the same way you described it as in my heart, I was like, oh, I really, I would love to get married someday. I would love to be a mom someday. That would be amazing. And that was like the prayer of my heart, but I was scared or embarrassed to say it out loud. It just sounded so unambitious. And like you're saying, it wasn't happening. And so it it is almost like admitting defeat. Like I want this thing, but I, I don't have this thing and I can't get yeah. this thing. So I must be a total loser. And I, I think a lot of young <laughs> single women or, or older single women, I think a lot of them feel that way. They're very scared to even say, I want to get married. Yeah. And I, I think too, it can almost sound like you're putting out a, a a job posting, you know, like, <laughs> Hey, and consider me. Um, what we lose sight as, as Christians is that marriage was God's idea in the beginning. It was mm. God who said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created marriage. And so we have from the beginning of Genesis marriage, and we have at the end of the Bible in Revelation, the marriage supper of the lamb, and at many, many, many points in between mm. is marriage. And so it is fundamental to the Christian worldview. It's fundamental to how God designed us as male and female. It is the norm for most Christians. Most Christians are called to be married. Statistically, most Americans eventually get married. Uh, we can hmm. talk about singleness later, but um, just ha having somebody who was bold enough to show me in scripture a biblical understanding of what marriage is and how good it is. It's a good thing hmm. to want. It's a good thing to pray for. It is what God designed men and women for. And so it's only right that we would talk about it in a godly way mm -hmm. in co-ed settings with single men yeah. and with, with our friends. Yeah, that's that just sounds so foreign, even to my ears. Like, what? Like, actually talking about this? Like, I have a sister who's in her early 20s, single, and I'm going to make sure she listens to this episode and <laughs> shares it with all of her friends. But I can imagine that that they probably feel some of that. Oh, like that, that just feels weird. Almost like, am I desperate? Like this desperate yeah. woman for a man? How do we as Christian women desire marriage, even start talking about it openly as a good thing that scripture upholds without idolizing it, without making it the thing we must have to move on in life, you know? Yes. The way to do that is to want God more, hmm. to love God more, to make everything you desire and everything you do and everything you aspire to submitted to him, to recognize that it's all for his glory. And so I am not saying you should want marriage at all costs, whatever it takes. Marriage mm -hmm. is not the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Marriage points to something far greater. And keeping that perspective and glorifying God in the way that you desire marriage, in the way that you go about helping it happen, that's what keeps you from idolizing it. Hmm. So keeping God as your number one, pursuing him first and foremost, there's always that tension <clears throat> with any good thing, like even in my own life of getting married, longing to be a mom, and then facing years of infertility and miscarriage, and eventually um, God answering my prayer, my desire for motherhood through adoption, getting to experience the beauty of motherhood now. I'm just so thankful. I love it. But for years, I had to 
hold, you know, this tension of desire, like desiring something good, praying for it, longing for it, even pursuing it in ways by getting testing and trying to figure out what's going on and being very intentional. But then at the same time, staying very surrendered, realizing even though this is a good thing, this is something God calls a heritage, you know, motherhood, parenthood, generational, but it's not happening for me. And so how do I have contentment while also desiring that? Can you speak to that contentment piece? Yeah. Well, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, as Christians, we understand that we live in a now and a not yet. So we have received glorious riches in Christ, and yet we're waiting for his return. And we are a chosen race, a, a holy people, um, a, a royal priesthood. And in the same passage in First Peter, he talks about how we're sojourners and exiles. How can you be both of those things at the, t- the same time? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's our inheritance is now and it's not yet realized. And there, so we, we should not be uncomfortable with waiting. We're always waiting ultimately for Christ's return. But all of life is marked in some way by waiting. When you're single, you're waiting to get married. When you get married, then pretty soon after, most women will start waiting to have a child. And as you experience, that can be a very long and painful mm-hmm. waiting. Maybe you'll get pregnant right away, but you will get to the point where all of your prior waiting will be ha- will prove to have been practiced for now your current waiting. You're, we're always waiting for mm-hmm. something, whether it's career or friendship or healing with broken uh, relationships with family. I mean, there's just so many areas of life where we don't have what we want yet. And Mm. keeping those things submitted to the Lord and trusting his sovereignty and his timing is so key to not making yourself crazy. And and that's really the key to contentment. Paul said, I've learned to be content. The secret is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We have unfortunately too often made that a slogan for running a marathon or losing weight or doing some personal to-do list. Paul was not talking about achievement there. He was talking about entering into the sufferings of Christ. And the key to suffering, whatever your suffering is, is Mm. to do it through Christ in the strength that he provides. Mm. And we have to be looking to him. And like you said, trust, that is such a huge word. Because if we aren't, if we don't know God intimately, personally, then one, how can we even trust him? Because we don't know his character. We don't know who he is. We don't understand how the suffering we're walking through, the longings, how those are drawing us into a more intimate relationship with the God who loves us, who cares about us so deeply. So that trust piece, that's something we unpack a lot in our book, Love Defined, which is all about God's Mm -hmm. radical design for relationships and, and what true love really looks like for the single and married woman, just that biblical perspective. Um, but let's shift now. I think we've talked a lot about the heart, which is, I think, the foundational piece. Your heart has to be in the right place. You have to be walking in a right relationship with the Lord, surrendered, trusting Him. That's where your contentment's going to come from. But now let's switch gears and talk about that part that's not necessarily passive, but active. Like as a single yeah. woman, what can she do with the right heart posture to help make marriage happen? I know in your book, you unpack this in multiple chapters, and I kind of want to dig into like a little bit of each one. And I want to start with your chapter that you titled, You Need a Network, because you talked yeah. about that in your story with your husband, how it was other people who helped you get to marriage. So what does that mean for the single woman to help her get married needing a network? 
Yeah, I think that my, um, I was realizing today the book came out 15 years ago. No way! Even, okay, well, yeah. it is so relevant yeah. still. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know, it's it's crazy. But um, this issue has become more defined and clarified in my mind that the network that the Christian single woman needs is the body of Christ. So the most important thing you can do to help marriage happen is to be a, a member of in a healthy Bible preaching church, to be serving in that church, to be growing in fellowship, to be under the authority of godly elders, to be mm-hmm. mentored by older women who know your desires, who, who know your strengths, who know your weaknesses, who can challenge you and help you grow, who can disciple you. Because really, all of the things that I say you should do to help marriage happen overlap with Christian discipleship. It's growing in godliness. It's becoming more of who God designed you to be, which if he blesses you with a husband will make you a much better wife than if you just wait around and read bride magazines until it happens. Hmm. So why specifically a church? Because I know a lot of young people are like, oh, I have my community through my workout club or Mm -hmm. this other thing I'm involved in with my work. So why is it so important for a Christian to find that community intentionally within the body of Christ? Well, because the primary goal isn't marriage, but basic Mm -hmm. Christian discipleship, growth in godliness and obedience. If I'm, I'm speaking overtly to Christian women. And so when you become a believer, you quickly see in the New Testament that the imperative is to be a part of a body of believers, to not forsake the assembling together and to be, um, to be serving and to be discipled. And this is so foreign to so much of our culture. We think all I need are my friends. The the pragmatic downside to that is if you only spend time with your peers, you're not meeting anyone who might introduce you to someone you could marry. You're competing. You're in this, this network with people who are all competing for the same thing. You don't have any advocates from the outside keeping your best interests in mind and thinking, oh, I could hmm. introduce you to my nephew or I could introduce you to my neighbor's son or... You need people beyond just your peer group, but also your peers are primarily going to be singing your praises, telling you all the things that are good about you. They don't want to offend you. They don't want to call you out. They don't want to walk necessarily in accountability with you. These kinds of harder conversations happen purposefully and by design within a local church. And so Mm. I think this is the most important change in addition to reading the Bible for yourself and knowing what God made marriage to be as opposed to what the culture says marriage can be, that's key. But beyond that, it's being a member of a church where you are in regular uh, fellowship, sitting under the preaching of the word. So you're growing and knowing what God said. You have to know his revealed word Mm -hmm. and how to apply it to your life. And then walking that out with other believers who are holding you accountable, who are encouraging you, who are calling you out where they see sin. And, And this goes both ways, right? You're doing this with others as well. You know, the other thing that Mm -hmm. the church is beyond the metaphor that scripture uses in addition to the body is the family of God. And this is so important for us, for a single woman and for single men that they be part of that church family. So they're not isolated. You don't want to get so good at being independent that you make it really hard to become interdependent once you get married and Church body life is all about interdependence, right? You are thrown in with people that you wouldn't normally pick. They're not your first choice for your friends. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of odd people. And frankly, you're one of them, right? We all have (laughs) rough edges. We all need to be sanctified. We all need to grow. 
And having a church family means that mm. you're not a single. I hate that term because it sounds like um, off by yourself, lonely, yeah, like alone. isolated. Yeah. Right. You, you mm-hmm. need to be roped into, networked in with a church family. Mm. Hopefully you're part of a small group. And so you're meeting regularly with Christians of various ages and life stages, doing life on life. If you never get married, if that's not the Lord's will for you, think of how much rich relationship and joy you mm-hmm. will have to buttress you and 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 encourage you along the way. Yeah. I just think it that that family network is essential for living faithfully as a Christian and it is no less so for a single. Yes. Is it okay cuz I I hear this question a lot for a single, or we could call her an unmarried Christian woman, if we don't like the word single, yes. for her to to choose a church intentionally that is gospel-centered, that is rooted in the word, in discipleship, for her to grow and to live out the one another's, but also a church where she sees other unmarried men who are growing in the Lord as well, intentionally yeah. choosing a church that has both like marriage options and the gospel. <laughs> Absolutely. But I would say even more important than a big singles network or a big singles group is um, marriages happening. <laughs> That's way more important is that you become a member of a church where marriage is esteemed and affirmed mm. and it is preached about from the pulpit when it comes up in the text. And so I'm all about expositional preaching where a pastor preaches through a whole book of the Bible and just deals yeah. with the text in front of him because marriage, as I said earlier, is woven throughout the whole story of the Bible. And you want to see other people getting married. You want, you know, the prayer sheet to have regularly have newly engaged couples and, and, Similarly, you want to have lots of babies being born. A church like that will affirm and and encourage marriage and family. And I think that is that can be really helpful even if there aren't men your age that you're attracted to right now. Doesn't mean they won't come, doesn't mean people in the pew beside you don't know someone like that. Um but yeah, be strategic. Obviously, if you have the choice between a gospel faithful you know, nine marks style church mm-hmm. on S- Walnut Street that is comprised primarily of people over 65. And then you have <laughs> one on, on Second Street where half the population in the, you know, half the church body is a college student. You can choose the younger one, but don't write off the older saints because, again, I think they mm-hmm. are some of the most untapped um, help. They are the tightest two model. They are the ones that God says, we younger women or you younger Mm -hmm. women are supposed to be going to for help in this kind of an area. You know, the older women are supposed to teach the younger women how to be loving their husbands, faithful at home, working and all of these things. Well, getting to marriage is part of that life cycle. Hmm, that's so good. A couple of years ago, I gave your book to a single woman that I knew and she came back to me, you know, I don't know, like a week later. She's like, that book was amazing. It changed my perspective on everything. And she said, I just want you to know that I, I really want to get married. And, and she was a woman mm-hmm. I knew she was very surrendered, trusting the Lord, but she's like, I, I just didn't feel like I had, I had the freedom, I guess, to talk about it openly that I really desire this. So she said, mm-hmm. would you and your husband be on the lookout for me? Like if you, if you meet a young godly man, an unmarried man, and you think, wow, he would be a great match for, you know, you, this friend we have. She's like, I am very open to you guys, mm. like having us over for dinner. And like, you know, she's like, I, I'm just letting you know, like if you ever 
get to know a young man and you think he's a good match for me, I'm very open to being matchmade. So what do you think about that, about unmarried people telling like married couples and others in their church, like, hey, I would love this and I'm open to you helping me make it happen? Absolutely. Amen. I love it. I tell your friend, bravo. That is exactly the kind of strategizing with the Holy Spirit that I am all about. And I am always looking for opportunities to make those kinds of connections, mm-hmm. offering to host a game night, offering to make an introduction, even asking questions of, and I can do this now because I have white hair or white, <laughs> whitening hair, asking the young men at our church hey, what are your plans for getting married? Have you identified any Mm. women? Do you know any women that you think would be a good wife? I've asked those questions before. And I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Older Christians are supposed to help younger Christians get married. Older men should be saying to the 20-something guys who are single and don't seem to have much momentum toward marriage, Mm -hmm. son, what are your plans for finding a wife? You know, the Bible says, Proverbs says, um, he who finds a wife receives favor from the Lord, finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. What are you doing to find a wife? That's an active hmm. verb. Men need to go out and find wives. Now, we have a son who's 23. He is looking for a wife. There is a limit to what he can do. He still has to wait on the Lord and trust yeah. God's timing. It is a mystery to me how two people end up married. It is a a <laughs> cosmic dance that I can't understand. And I even went through it and I still look back, even rereading the book last week, I was like, man, I felt anxious. Like, are they going to end up together? And it's my own story. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know when two people yeah. will have that click and that the Lord will give them marriage. But mm-hmm. I think we can be intentional along the way to be asking good questions and encouraging introductions and saying, hey, have you thought about so-and-so? Here's another thing that, that women... Um, often do is, is they'll say, oh, we're just friends. You know, I'll ask, hey, what about, what about Ted? What do you think about him? Oh, we're just friends. And I say, oh, well, that is a great place to start. Hmm. Friendship is a wonderful foundation for marriage. You don't have to have chemical, you know, uh, you don't have to have a chemical reaction the first time you see the guy to know that he's the one. All of that is a Hollywood way of thinking. That is not how real people meet and marry. And so if you have a man who loves the Lord, who demonstrates the fruit of the spirit, who is under authority, who is teachable, who is kind, who has the fruit of the spirit, and you say, we're just friends, I say, honey, you need (laughs) to pray about it moving beyond friendship because he would make a wonderful father for your future children. He would be a wonderful provider for you. And and, and even if she says, I'm just not attracted to him. Mm. I say, you know, attraction's important. Song of Solomon is in the Bible for a reason, but it's not ultimate. And our culture has made it way more important than it is. Yes. And over the course of a marriage, you will both change. You will not always Mm -hmm. be as beautiful or as handsome as you were in your 20s. Everyone gets old. Everyone wrinkles. Everybody gains weight. I mean, this is just life in a fallen world, right? Our bodies are wasting away outwardly, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And so ask the Lord, God, would you give me um, an affection an attraction to this man who's been my dear friend, could it be more than that? And just be open. See if the Lord lets grow, see if the Lord would let love grow. I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be one of my questions here real soon was what about the physical attraction piece? Because so many young unmarried women that I know 
will categorize men in the friend, you know, just mm-hmm. they'll friend zone them because they're yeah. like, oh, I'm just not attracted, but we're such great friends. You know, we hang out all the time and it's like, wait a minute. So I'm really glad you brought that up to just even say, it doesn't mean you, okay, you're not attracted. You don't just have to force yourself to be attracted. You take it to the Lord and you say, yeah. Lord, I admire so much about this man and his character and his pursuits, his goals, our friendship. I am thankful for him, but I am not attracted to him. So Lord, mm-hmm. if you would have something for us, would you change my heart? Would you rework even, like you said, my perspective on how important attraction should be? Like, am I believing more of what the Bible says about what matters in a person or more about what Hollywood says? I mean, it's so yeah. good to just analyze those things. So if a woman, let's say, let's just take this scenario you brought up, they're friends. She's thinking, you know, wow, we maybe she's have, even having a light bulb moment right now as she listens to this and think she's thinking, okay, yeah, we are really good friends. I've never never actually thought about him as more than that. But now that I'm thinking about that as an option, I could see something there. What can she do, if anything? You know, we talk a lot about the man being the pursuer, biblically, the woman responding. But is there anything she can do in that scenario to help marriage happen, even help the conversation of there could be something more between us? Yeah. Part of it depends on how old they are. Um, my advice would change if, if she were, I, I, you probably have some high school girls listening. My advice would be different to someone in high school than I would say, get your parents involved, um, you know, or a trusted okay, well, youth, let's, youth let's leader. unpack that. I would love okay. to hear, like, maybe just give us two scenarios. So a younger woman who's maybe mm-hmm. high school, let's talk, let's talk to her. We have a lot of those who listen. We also have a lot of 20 somethings and 30 something yeah. singles. Right, right. So yeah. full blown adults. So can you speak to both seasons of life? Yeah. So for the younger girls, I would say first principle of dating is dating is for assessing if someone is um, a potential good fit for marriage. And wow, there's so many layers here. You have, even before you can answer that question, you have to make sure you understand what marriage is and what it's for. And the culture has so warped this and so twisted this, not just Hollywood, but now we have all the anti-marriage and marriage redefining. And there's just... Mm -hmm. The very first thing you need to do as a believing woman, whatever your age, is study what God's word says marriage is and study what God's word says marriage is for and make sure that you are aspiring to and desiring what God intends marriage to be and not what the world intends and not what Hollywood intends. So that's step number one. Step number two, dating is for assessing if someone is a good fit for marriage. And my rule of thumb, our rule of thumb is that you need to be realistically able to be married within a year of when you start dating to really be ready to start dating. So mm. if you're 17, I wouldn't, I would say don't date yet. Consider your brothers in Christ brothers and relate to them as brothers. And it's okay to have a brother that you're better friends with than another. But I would say don't formalize a dating relationship and don't act like mm. you're dating until you're old enough that within a year you could realistically be married because you're just going to enter into whole zones of temptation and, yeah. and other challenges. So the one year rule is just kind of a rule of thumb. If you are within a year of being able to get married and you have this guy that is a really good friend, then I would um, ask someone you trust. If you've got a great relationship with your parents, just say, Hey, I realize that Joe is, is my best friend and I've never thought of him in a romantic way, but what do you think? Do you think we would be a good match for marriage? And get the help of some older believers who can have a similar conversation with Joe to say, Joe, have Mm. you ever considered Lisa, my daughter or Lisa, my niece, or, you know, the, the gal that you sit by in church every other Sunday, have you ever considered her as a candidate for wife? 
and have conversations about the job description. What is a wife? What is a husband? How do how does he meet those criteria? And some of this obviously overlaps for um, older women as well. But if all of those things are lining up, then um, I think with a with a young woman, you could enlist the, the help of your pastor or your small group leader or youth leader to initiate that conversation on your behalf to bring you you to the attention of the young man and ask if he's ever considered it. You don't want to be having to be your own matchmaker and have those mm. nuts and bolts conversations. Um, it, it sets a pattern. Women, we, we could naturally have these conversations. We tend to be more verbal. We tend to be yeah. a little bit more aggressive on getting what we want in our culture. That's just amplified. But if we do that at the very beginning, we're setting a pattern and a template mm. for how we'll relate. And if you do end up married, you will have to work against that. And um, I, I will say this is one thing I wish I would have done differently, would have known differently to do differently, is to lead less, step back more, mm. and and be more patient and wait on the Lord. That said, um, I did pull a Ruth, and I do think pulling a Ruth is a good idea. And this is my advice to the older women. So now you're not living at home anymore. You know, you've graduated from college. You're hoping to be married. You've got this best guy friend at church. You spend a lot of time together. Other people think you're dating, but you know you're not. What are you supposed hmm. to do if all of a sudden you realize, wow, I could find myself attracted to him. He would be a good husband. How do you pivot? How do you change the, the relational dynamic without robbing him of his role of initiator? And I think the key is to ask a clarifying question. What does our relationship mean? Or where is our relationship headed? Or the next time he suggests an outing to say, you know, we've been doing this a lot and I'm just curious, um, does this have the potential to be more? And then mm. step back and let him take the conversation from there. But I think you do have to be willing to ask that question and to step away if he says, well, we're just friends. If he's clueless and has no interest mm. or, in, you know, if he doesn't take the initiative, then the best thing you can do is stop giving him so much access to your time, to your friendship. Um, you know, you might be mm. prayer partners. That's not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, because it just leads to so much intimacy that the relationship can't handle. The commitment doesn't match the intimacy. And that mismatch leads to prolonging your singleness, not moving you towards marriage. Hmm. You mentioned pulling a roof, and I know you have a whole chapter on that in your book. Um, you unpacked it a little bit, but I have heard of unmarried women use that example of what Ruth did to say well, look at how forward Ruth was. Look at how mm -hmm. proactive she was in literally going and sleeping at Boaz's feet. So that's a, then that means that it's okay for me to be extremely proactive in the same way in my cultural context, which looks like just asking a guy out. I'm interested in him. I'll just be the one to ask him out. But it sound mm -hmm. that doesn't sound like what you're saying pulling a Ruth is. That's right. And when I when I wrote the first pulling a Ruth article, I think there have been three or four since then. I did see it as a girl power lesson. And mm. I am so sorry I ever wrote that because I don't think that's what was happening. And the more I've studied the book of Ruth, the more I realized that Boaz was already leading 
and doing things that um, were sort of husbanding, if you will, in a loose way. Mm -hmm. Not He wasn't acting married with her, but he was providing for her Mm -hmm. safety, shelter, um, food and water as she was gleaning from his fields. She was, he was commending her for her Christian, or I'm sorry, <laughs> he was commending her for her godly character that yeah. she, a Moabite, would follow Naomi to the land of Israel and make the Lord God of Israel her God. So he had already established himself in a way that was so honorable. And Naomi, Ruth's mother in law, saw that. And Naomi knew about the kinsman redeemer system. And so she encouraged Ruth to place herself in a position to ask Boaz to redeem her. Don't you just love that imagery? It just gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. This was so much bigger than Ruth and Boaz. It was pointing Mm -hmm. forward to our ultimate redeemer. And it's an amazing miracle of God's providence that the savior of the world came through Mm -hmm. their Mm -hmm. marriage, through her son, Obed grandfather of King David. I mean, it's just a a remarkable story of redemption, but it's not a story of, or a permission to start asking guys out. Um, Ruth was in an undesirable situation. She was a widow. They were poor. She was very vulnerable, gleaning in the fields. Um, And she took it. She, she didn't take advantage. She um, participated in the system they had for women like her to get married, which was asking to be redeemed. We don't have that system, yeah. but we do have the church and we do have Titus too. And we do have the instructions from Paul to Timothy to treat younger women like sisters in all purity. And we do have the instruction to treat young men like brothers. And so we have to take from Ruth what's applicable, but not yeah. overextend it and make it. It's not a feminist uh, in moral, it's not a feminist uh, lesson. It's not, it's not a girl power chapter at all. Ruth was the antithesis of that. Hmm, that's so good. Thank you for unpacking that. I think there is a lot of confusion around that story and what that means when you try to translate that picture into our modern dating scene. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't correlate. There's there's a lot more going on there. So thank you for giving us a little bit of insight into that. Um, okay. What does it mean? Because you have a whole chapter where you talk about living like you're planning to marry. What does that mean? (laughs) Right. Well, I contrast it with merely hoping to get married. So Mm. if you say, well, I hope to get married one day, then my next question is, well, how are you living like you're planning for that to happen? And what I mean Uh, is that women who never talk about their desire for marriage, who aren't doing all of the things we've already been talking about, but who are putting all of their effort into getting a college degree and then going to graduate school and building a career. And in their mind, they're thinking, well, this is my plan B. If I never get married, then I can support myself Mm. and I'll have something meaningful to do. I can make a meaningful contribution. If all of your energy goes into your plan B, it often becomes your plan A. You can't Mm. neglect your longing to be married and think that it's just somehow going to happen. You have to be intentional about how you live. And so some of the things I talk about in um, living like you're planning to marry are talking about it. So say it out loud with your friends, Mm -hmm. with your mentors, steward your gifts, what God has given you. If he has given you a mind to be a scholar, by all means, take advantage of the opportunities to study. But don't do it in such a way 
that you um, cut yourself off from relationship with men. So for example, in your 20s, don't say I'm not going to date in my 20s because I've got to get my, I'm going to be a doctor. I'll wait until I'm 30 and then I'll look for a guy. Often women are really frustrated to find out that by the time they get to 30, um, the guys that are left to get married aren't quite the caliber that they were back when they were in their 20s. Don't hmm. neglect an opportunity that presents itself when you're young, even if it interrupts your career plans. I think that's the big thing. Be willing to be interrupted by a good candidate for husband. Be willing to fit in with his plans and to lay your plans down because that's what biblical marriage is. God mm. made Eve to help Adam in their joint work of taking dominion and being fruitful. And I tell Harrison, our 23-year-old, if he if he's dating a girl and he says, well, I don't think she'll want to come here to this city. She's in another city or I don't know if she'll want to not do the mission field or whatever. I say, well, she's probably not a good candidate because what you need is a woman who's willing to fit in with the plan God has for mm -hmm. your life. You have to be able to fit in with your husband's calling. And Kristen, I'm sure you see the, the challenge of this. It's not mm -hmm. easy. That's why the Bible talks about it. But it is the job description of a Christian wife is to help her husband accomplish the mission that mm -hmm. God has given him. And so that's why it's so important to marry a man you respect and who has a shared mission. Mm, it isn't popular to say that for sure in this yeah. society where we are as women, we are pushed to be so independent, to be so accomplished in and of ourselves, to view everything to, through the lens of who am I and what am I doing with my life? And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, even in Christian circles, there is that pressure, that feeling of like, well, what are you going to do with your life? And, yeah. you know, you better be doing something important. And, oh, you just want to get married. You just want to be a mom. And you hear those kind of words and it's yeah. so discouraging. It's so unbiblical that I think a lot of women who are in that season of college and figuring out their life and they don't have someone right in that moment they can marry, they feel that pressure of like, well, I've got to show that I'm doing something with my life. So how does a woman find that balance of, you know, 18, 19, 20, trying to make plans for her future? Mm -hmm. She does want to get married. It's not happening right then. How does she balance that? Yeah. Uh, serve, look for opportunities to serve and to keep building your serving muscles so you don't become so inward focused and selfish mm. and um, independent. Again, push against being independent. Look for opportunities to be interdependent with other people. Your family is a great way to do this. Uh, your roommates. I think it's it's helpful to always live in community um, from the time that you're a child until you get married. If you end up in an apartment by yourself, it's super easy to get really yeah. good at just being on your own. And so you have to, if you do that, it's not wrong, but you have to be aware of the temptations that come mm. when you just are living for your own calendar and your own goals and your own agenda. Um, so serving keeps you plugged into um, sacrifice and doing hard things for people and being inconvenienced for the good of another. This is all practice for marriage. Um, but I think also just holding your career loosely hmm. and taking every opportunity the Lord gives and stewarding it for his glory, not for your own. Again, this, this is a, yeah. a, a challenge for the Christian woman not to be about her goals and her career and her glory and her finances and yeah. her possessions. It's Lord, what do we have that we have not received? Paul wrote. So why do we boast as if we have not received it? Everything we have is from the Lord and we're mm. supposed to use it for his glory and for the good of one another. So being all about the one another verses, 
Um, I, I really love the story of Moses who went to college in Egypt and got the best education. He had the upbringing of a prince. And then at age 40, God sent him into the wilderness for 40 years. He toiled as a shepherd. And then God called him out of shepherding into a position of incredible leadership to lead a formerly enslaved people through the wilderness for 40 more years. And isn't it interesting that at the end of his life, God had him write the first five books of the Bible. Moses needed that education to accomplish God's purpose for his life. But I imagine that at age 25 or 30, Moses wasn't thinking, I'm going to put all this on a shelf and on hold for 80 years and then I'll yeah. use it at the end of my life. But that's what a lot of moms have the opportunity to do. If you mm. get a degree and if you get another degree and then the Lord blesses you with children, with a husband first and then children, you will never waste your degree if you go home. You will use everything you learned for this most mm. expansive job, really, that I could imagine running a home, teaching children, training them in the fear of the Lord, serving a husband, mm. uh, being available for church members. It is, it is a wonderful career to be a stay-at-home mom. It is a, a wonderfully expansive and enriching thing for yourself and for the mm-hmm. people you serve. And don't ever let anyone tell you you're wasting your education. I use what I learned all the time. And it's just, it, it's the world's way of thinking, but that's not God's way of thinking. Hmm. That's so helpful to hear. That is That needs to be said a lot more because that is not a message we really hear very often. And yeah. so we all just kind of default into the same pattern of the way we go about college and life. And it's just so refreshing to hear what you just said. And something that we often encourage young unmarried women who are planning for their future is to, okay, so you're going to school. Wonderful. You're learning, you're growing, you're sharpening your brain. But think about, like you talk about, if you want to get married some, someday, which is a great desire, if you would love to be a mom someday, if the Lord blesses you with that, think about what you're doing now. Will that be hospitable to your yeah. future? If you're on a track yeah. that's going to produce, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of debt in a couple of years, like, is that going to be hospitable for your family, Mm -hmm. for your future. You really need to evaluate this. Is the track that you're on going to require you to work 50 hours a week and have no time for your family? If that's what you're pursuing and all that you're pouring your time into. So just thinking about is what I'm investing in now going to be hospitable for, like you said, this, this plan a that I don't really talk about because it's, you know, I'm ashamed to say it, but really I would love to get married and to have kids someday. Like just plan ahead. Like you're saying, think about, will this be hospitable for my future? And then again, like you said, it won't be wasted. What you're learning, what you're growing in will be used within your home, within your marriage, within your family, your church body. And even if it's not directly used, one day, like you use the example of Moses, you're an empty nester. You have these talents, these skills that could then bless people in a different way in that yeah. season of life. Like we have a whole life. So thank you for sharing that. That's really helpful. Um, as we wrap it up here, though, there's so much more I want to talk about. I know the unmarried <laughs> women are like, give me more practical tips. You talk about <laughs> praying boldly. Yeah. How should an unmarried woman who desires marriage, how, what should her prayers look like? They should look like scripture-saturated, faith-filled requests for God to give her, give them what he wants them to have. So praying scripture back to God is the best way that you can pray because you can pray Mm -hmm. with confidence to say, Lord, you made marriage. 
It was your idea. You said it's not good for man to be alone. You said that because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her Mm -hmm. own husband. You've said all of these things. You've said that marriage is so much bigger than the man and the woman, that it it refers to Christ in the church, that it's a, a picture of the gospel. You said that you want your image to be spread over the whole world like the waters cover the sea. That happens when married husbands and wives have babies and raise them in the fear of the Lord. And I want to enter into that. I want to have what you designed me to have. I see it and feel it in my own body that this is a good desire. Help me not to make that longing more important than loving you. Help me to trust your timing. But Father, please bless me with a husband. Please give me what I want. And if I'm sinning and how I'm thinking about it, refine me. Lord, you say, trust in me with, with all of, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths part of, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It says in the Psalms, part of that process is knowing and loving the Lord so much that he refines your desires so that you begin to desire what he wants you to have. Mm. And the more scripture you know, and the more scripture you pray, the more you can rest assured that God hears your prayers. And Jesus said, he will give you what you ask. When you ask in faith, James talks about not praying in a, um, in a way that you're two-faced, that you're saying one thing and then doubting later, that you have faith, but also praying, thy will be done, in, con- in yeah. consistent with God's will. So how do you pray God's will? Well, you have to know his word, and then you pray his word back to him. But you don't have to be timid. You don't ha- you're not a beggar. You are, you are not an outcast. You're not an orphan. You've been adopted into the family of God, and God is a loving Heavenly Father. If you don't have a good dad, an earthly dad, mm-hmm. That should not diminish at all how you approach your father in heaven who has revealed himself in his word. So Mm. spend time getting to know your heavenly father. Study the ways that Jesus prayed and model those prayers for this area of your life. And ask older saints to pray with you and to pray for you and see what the Lord will do. Mm, inviting the Lord into this area of your life. You think that would be such a given? Like, we're Christians. The Lord should be in every area. But it is amazing how we can compartmentalize and almost de-spiritualize this this part of our lives when you're saying, no, we need to be taking this to the Lord, praying His word back to Him, and inviting other believers into this area to pray with us and for us. That is such a great encouragement. I have to ask you this because this is such a hot button question that we get all the time. And I've, I've even heard my young unmarried sister debate this with her friends. Is there such a thing as a soulmate? Meaning, Mm. does God have one person for you in the whole world to marry? Or are there lots of people that you could marry biblically? Right. I mean, obviously only marrying one of them, but lots of options. (laughs) Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, there is, not a needle in a haystack that you are tasked with going out to find. If you believe that there's only one man who will be your husband, who will be your soulmate, two problems. How do you find him? Mm-hmm. And if once you get married, you have trouble and you bicker and you don't like him sometimes and you have difficulty in every area of life and you will, because you yes. are marrying a sinner and so is he. If you if you were believing the myth of a soulmate, you will be tempted 
to think I married the wrong guy Hmm. and I need to, I need to get out of this and keep looking. That is a deadly way to think when you get married, once you are married, the man you married is the one for you. And scripture is so clear about that. Will he be your soulmate? Probably not. So I think the problem is in um, having an idea of what a husband should be. God doesn't say, I will give you a man and he will complete you. Mm. You know, you're, you're missing half. It's, again, that's such a Hollywood myth. Yeah. And, um, and so you can't be looking for a carbon copy of yourself who will be like your best girlfriend, only a man. Men are different than women. Mm. And Paul says, if you marry, you have not sinned, but you will have trouble. There, there are challenges to being married and living side by side with another sinner all the time. Yeah. But it is God's gift of sanctification. It's one of the most profound ways that he grows us to be like Christ. And so don't look for your soulmate. Look to be faithful in who you marry. Look for a man who is being faithful. And then know that once you're married, God yeah. is sovereign. And he mm-hmm. is absolutely in charge of who you marry. So it's that mystery of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Yes. And now having had four children and seeing who they are and thinking, if I hadn't married Steve, these four people wouldn't exist. And they're, and God's a generational God. And he already knows how many generations will proceed from our fruitfulness. And he knows who those people already are. So in one sense, yeah, yeah there's only one person for you to marry because that's how God works. And in another sense, no, you could make godly and God-honoring marriages with a handful of men that, you know, the the main um, or, or really the only blatant command in scripture is you must not be unequally yoked. Marry yeah. a believer, right? Marry in the Lord. So yeah. that's like the baseline requirement. After that, there's a lot of freedom about who you can marry. And that's where wisdom principles mm. come in. And that's why input from other believers is so important. So there's not a soulmate for you. And yet, the Lord knows who you will marry if you marry. That's really helpful. It's kind of like answering the question from our van, our human vantage point, yes. and then looking at the question from God's eternal vantage point. Like there are two kind of yes and nos. I get that. That was really well the way you unpacked it. Really well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Maybe that will help settle some of the, the debates that I hear going around. Okay, but in closing, anything else that you want to share with our unmarried sisters about anything else we haven't touched on that you feel like is an important piece to this conversation? Yes, we haven't even talked about sex, Kristen. Oh my goodness. Oh. This is a huge area. I, I mean, I can sum it up. Don't do something on Friday night to keep from being lonely that will keep you lonely the rest of your life. Hmm. Living like you're planning to marry means striving to be chaste and modest and pure and godly in your relationships with men and not acting married until you are. That's the shorthand. But if you are if you are being sexually promiscuous and there's a whole range, you know, from the most basic to the most involved, you are making it more likely that he won't move it to marriage because you're already giving away the goods of marriage without the covenant Mm. that protects it. You're also making it more likely um, that you will have heartache and hardship on the other side of marriage. If you do marriage, marry each other, you will have a lot of hardship to work through because of that sin. Jesus forgives. Praise be to God. He makes us new. He cleanses us of our unrighteousness, but consequences in the natural world remain. And where there is sexual sin, there are consequences, whether it be a disease, a pregnancy that you weren't 
planning on. Mm. Um, but relationally, there's a lot of shrapnel that comes from sexual yeah. sin. That was a huge one. Oh man, we need a whole episode <laughs> just to unpack that. Like here at the yeah. end, we, we've we written a post, uh, something along the lines of don't give your boyfriend husband privileges. And yeah. it sounds like that's what you're saying, that when he's just your boyfriend, he's not your husband. And so there are right. categories of things that are not permissible, that are not pure, that are not right for that boyfriend yeah. relationship. Is there anything else that you want to say on that? Well, he's not only um, not your husband, he's probably mm -hmm. someone else's husband mm -hmm. and he's your brother in Christ. So that brother sister language is so helpful for thinking about what's appropriate to the dating relationship. You should be wanting him to be pure sexually. And the way you mm -hmm. help him do that is by not tempting him or joining him in sexual sin. Mm -hmm. And he should be wanting you to be honorable before the Lord, to be obeying God. And you really should be for one another in this way. And it does take the help of other believers in the relationship involved asking questions. It takes wisdom. Don't spend a lot of time alone together in a, a candlelit apartment. Don't be foolish. Um, be wise in how you relate to men. And if you want someone you're in a relationship to move towards marriage, Stop giving him the milk for free. If you want him to buy the cow, he's hmm. not going to make a change if you're already acting married because marriage for a man means a whole lot more responsibility. We think of it as, oh, marriage would be all of this fun and dating plus, right? Plus I get to be his wife and I get his name and he's going to be my provider and we get to do life together and we get to buy couches and hang curtains. I mean, we see all the fun. For a lot of men, they know it's a, a, a responsibility to shoulder. There's a, there are mm. duties and burdens, and God made men to have strong shoulders for burden bearing. But if you're giving him all the goods prematurely, he's thinking marriage would be all this minus my independence, oh. my freedom, my control over my own money. So you're you're totally um, you're getting the, the you're getting it all backwards, and you're undermining your your goals. That's, that's what I mean by you could be doing something on Friday night to keep from being lonely that could keep hmm. you single and lonely the rest of your life. Hmm. So since we opened this can of worms, we've just got to wrap it up with yeah. a little encouragement for the couple, the woman who's listening, who is in that position. She's thinking, yeah, wow, I am giving way too much away. Like th I am not honoring God in, in this relationship with this man. Uh, what should they do? What should she do? Mm -hmm. uh, repent before the Lord. Um, confess to one another and to your pastor. You, you need other believers you trust who will be responsible and helpful in this situation because it's really easy to say, oh, I'm so sorry, we shouldn't have done that. And then you find yourself in the, next, in the same situation next weekend and you do it again. Yeah. You have to be really serious about this before the Lord and you need to fear God more than you fear man. And you need to you need to understand what's at stake. If you're continuing to sin in this way, you are walking in sin. You are doing what scripture says is actually a symptom of not truly being saved. If mm -hmm. there's not a brokenness about it, if there's not repentance, confession and repentance, repentance being, I am so sorry, Lord, and I am turning away from that sin and I am walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Mm. You need help to do that. You need um, accountability. And there is no shame in going to your pastor and asking for it. This is if, if you have a pastor who blanches when you say 
this is what we did, mm-hmm. and he gets uncomfortable, he doesn't understand the gospel. Jesus died on the cross because our sin is that bad. Yeah. And Christians should not be ashamed to confess. We have to confess. This mm-hmm. is where healing comes. This is where restoration comes. This is where times of refreshing come, scriptures say. And to walk into marriage without having the confession, the repentance, the turning is mm-hmm. to set yourself up for hardship, but maybe even divorce because sexual mm-hmm. sin before marriage is practiced for sexual sin after marriage. So this is, it's deadly serious. It is no small thing to um, be in this situation. I would just urge anyone listening who is in this situation, please ask mm-hmm. the Lord to help you. Please reach out for help. Don't stay in the situation and don't move forward in marriage until you make a change. You both need to demonstrate that you're more serious about obeying the Lord than you are about gratifying your physical desires. God designed marriage to be the only place where sex is authorized. In marriage, it's amazing. It's authorized. It's God ordained. It glorifies him. But outside of marriage, Mm -hmm. it is disastrous. Hmm. And we've even, it's, it's a case by case situation for couples. We don't know everyone's personal story, but to even take a break from the relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. to say, we are struggling, we are continuing to sin. We need to take a break and push pause and, and get some mentorship, some counsel, some discipleship, and really get our own hearts individually, not even as a couple, just individually on the right track before the Lord. And then if God brings us back together later on down the road, wonderful, but we need, we just need to take a break and take some time to really get serious about pursuing the Lord. So thank you for that. Well, any other closing words? (laughs) Are there anything else burning (laughs) on your mind where you're like, they need to know this? (laughs) Oh, I would just say marriage is a good gift. God called all that he had made good. And then on the last day after he had made Adam and Eve and brought them together in marriage, he said, that he looked at all that he has, had made and said, it is very good. It is a good thing to want to get married when marriage is mm. understood to be what God designed it to be. And it is a beautiful thing in our culture to marry biblically because it flies in the face of what people are saying marriage is. Yeah. And our watching world needs faithfully married men and women who are a picture of the gospel. Mm. You guys, if Candace's words and this conversation have piqued your interest, please go grab a copy of her book, Get Married, What Women Can Do to Help It Happen. Even though it's over a decade old, it is still so relevant and so helpful. I still recommend it to women all the time. I'm recommending it to you right now. So please go grab a copy. And Candace, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. That was fun. That was insightful, wisdom-filled, challenging, encouraging. Thank you for everything you brought today. It is my joy to be here, and I hope to see all of your listeners at familymaking.com where they can either download the book digitally or grab a copy. Thank you.